This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, November 19, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. So today we're joined by Denny Roth, a congressional candidate for Missouri's 8th District, who brings a unique blend of real-life experience and dedication. Raised on a small grain farm in southern Indiana, Denny's early life was shaped by the values of honest hard work instilled by his parents. Despite the challenges of farming in the 80s, he pursued higher education, earning a degree to teach high school history. His understanding of government and history combined with personal experience informs his perspective. Denny's journey includes the struggles and triumphs of being a single father, balancing farming and trucking jobs while raising his son. This experience deeply connects him with the challenges many Americans face in juggling work, family, and financial stability. Choosing to leave farming, Denny moved to Missouri, where he continued continued to work in the agriculture industry as a truck driver until his recent retirement. Interestingly, he is not a career politician or someone born into privilege. He's a self-proclaimed blue-collar-to-the-bone individual, bringing a grassroots perspective to the political arena. So, Denny, I hope that uh, introduction does you justice. Thanks for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and uh, great to have you here. Well, I appreciate that, and I thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience. All right. So, um, let's start with your background, because I'm very curious about, uh, you know, Coming from the background that you're coming from, you're definitely uh, of, of a rural background and with experience as a truck driver, you're probably quite experienced in the unions as well. And uh, so now you're campaigning for the <clears throat> U.S. congressional seat representing the 8th District in Missouri. So just as some background on the district itself, the 8th Congressional District in Missouri is a sprawling rural district that encompasses the southeastern portion of the state, including the proverbial boot heel of the state. It's a diverse district with a mix of farms and small towns and a smattering of larger cities that goes right up to the doorstep of St. Louis County, which is where I live. Uh, Well, I don't live in St. Louis County. I live right up at the doorstep of St. Louis County. So um, now getting back to you, though, Danny, there's no doubt that life has taught you some valuable lessons, and uh, you would be a very experienced representative from the life experience perspective. But you have no political experience up to this point, so... Let's get to the root of it. What uh, motivates you to run for a representative? Well, uh, like many people uh, today, I'm just uh, kind of dissatisfied with the way things are going in this country. Uh, the wealth inequality in this country just keeps getting worse and worse. Health care is awful in mm-hmm. this country. Many people can't afford it. Uh, people in the 8th District, there's 12% of the people in this district that don't even have any health care. Uh, they talk about socialized medicine. 35% of the people in the 8th District are on some type of government health care, be it Medicare, Medicaid, or VA mm-hmm. benefits. Um, it's just uh, some of the things that have motivated me to run because I, I, I don't like the direction this country is going. Yeah, I hear you. Let's talk about the uh, where you're going to go from here, though, because you, you obviously have to get 
past the primary, the Democratic primary, you're running as a Democrat. And the incumbent in this case is a guy by the name of Jason Smith, who is the uh, current representative for the 8th District of Missouri and known for his highly conservative views. And um, he's, a, he's a, you know, speaking of health care, he's a, a vocal opponent of the Affordable Care Act. And he has supported efforts to repeal and replace it. I don't know what they want to replace it with because I don't think they've actually ever enunciated that. Uh, but the fact is that you know, Jason Smith, um, he's also, I believe, the head of or the uh, chairman for the Ways and Means Committee. So he's pretty powerful. And he's been reelected to office with ease over the last uh, several election cycles. Um, any Democrat that challenges him in the election was going to face a stiff uphill battle. With his record, with his with his uh, with his strong record, his strong Republican record, and look, and knowing that the uh, district here tends to lean heavily Republican, so this is uh, is this like a David and Goliath thing that you're going to be doing? <laughs> very much so. Uh, I'm very much an underdog. Uh, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to get through the primary. Uh, I'm under no illusion what I face in Jason Smith. I mean, he's the chairman of one of the most powerful committees in Congress, so he has access to probably an endless amount of money for his campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has the name recognition. He's, yeah. he's been there for a few years now. But I think I can, I can relate to a lot of people in this district with my uh, background, mm-hmm. my life experience, because it's, it's the same as a lot of people in this country. I struggled in farming for years, dealt with droughts, with low prices, uh, the two steps forward, five steps back. Sometimes, and uh, I, I'm sure a lot of the people, especially in the Delta and the Boot Hill, feel the same way. The people that farm, um, people that are single parents that have struggled trying to make ends meet, uh, dealing with with health care. When I farmed, I had to, I had my own health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some bad experiences with that. The insurance not paying what it was supposed to pay. Mm-hmm. So I, I think my life experience uh, will help me connect with a lot of people in this district. And it, when you sit down and talk to people, their views really aren't that much different than yours right. on a lot of issues, yeah. especially things like health care. Would you find anyone that wants to give up their Medicare in this district uh, or their Medicaid if they don't have the money to buy their own health insurance? Sure. Uh, do they think that uh, if you change jobs that you shouldn't be allowed to cover a pre-existing condition? Uh, which Obamacare ended, by the way. Yeah. And Jason Smith, like you said, wants to repeal and replace it. And, and it's interesting because Obamacare was basically the Heritage Foundation's plan for health care. And that's what Mitt Romney had in Massachusetts when he was governor. And that's why he had such a hard time in 2012 distancing himself from Obamacare because that's exactly what he put in place in Massachusetts, and the Heritage Foundation is a is a right wing think tank, and this was their medical plan uh, to keep it was because it kept private insurance in sure. involved in it, and uh, the Republicans, like, as you said earlier, have no plan. They want to repeal and replace, but they have no plan to replace. Right. So what what is their plan? Uh, President Trump is going to have the the best health care, the cheapest health care, cover everybody and never saw one thing from him or the Republican Congress or Senate on what that plan was going to be. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, th- I think, as, as I said, I think I can connect with, with people in this district. Yeah, I, I can relate to what you're saying there too. Um, 
we're of the age right now where we're coming up on Medicare. My wife is a little bit older than me, so we're doing we're going through that application process right now. And um, fortunately, I had listened to Ralph Nader. Uh, I listened to his podcast once in mm-hmm. a while, and he talked about the um, uh, Medicare Advantage and how what a, what a ripoff it is. And so I, I was like, okay, I, I always kept that in mind, you know, what was really, you know, that there was a ripoff. So now we're coming up to doing the paperwork for my wife, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, you can tell that the uh, the, the uh, insurance companies actually wrote those a lot of those policies, and they make it look really good at first. You get free gym memberships and stuff, but the, the, the fine print in there is like if you get some sort of pre-condi- pre-existing condition, and if you drop out and you want to go back to regular Medicare, good luck with that. You can't mm-hmm. do that. Um, Missouri is a little different than Kansas, I'm learning, but Kansas... Um, once you get into a Medicare Advantage program, you're locked in. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to digress too much, but but the bottom line is that um, it, Republicans are very pro uh, pro business, and when it comes to healthcare, it's it's amazing how they can be very cold toward people. Right, right. Lack of empathy, I think that's called. <laughs> yeah, lack of empathy. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, you know, Jason's going to be a tough one to beat. I, I get that. And um, he's um, he, you're going to you're, you're going to have your work cut out for you. But, you know, you talked a little bit about the economy. Let's move on to that, because I've been looking at your website and it seems like, you know, I think a lot of people would agree with you saying that the economy these days is very unfair. Uh, you've, crit- you've criticized trickle down economics. Um, I know you're around around you're probably about the same age as I am, pretty close anyways. And I remember when trickle down economics came out in the nineteen eighties, which wasn't a new concept, it's actually been around for quite a while, but it was really, really popular with Reagan. Mm-hmm. And everybody talked about how that was going to rescue things and make things better, but it actually made things a lot worse. It it increased the wealth gap in this country. Um and you, you cite that in your website, you say, you know, it it um uh, that it has, um, you've, you've criticized the economic policies of trickle down for basically stagnating worker wages while significantly increasing CEO pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're advocating for a more fair tax system, including, including loop, closing loopholes for offshore accounts and such like that. So I want you to go on a little bit about, your, about the economy. What are, what are your talking points about the economy? Well, as you said, I, I think trickle down has been a an absolute scam for the working class in mm-hmm. this country. Uh, middle class wages have stagnated. Uh, we have more people in poverty uh, than ever before. Uh, in the last four years, since since trickle down economics have been uh, in vogue, I should say, uh, fifty trillion dollars of wealth has transferred from the middle and lower income classes to the top one percent. Yeah. We now have billionaires that are worth more money than some countries. And that's just, I mean, that's a phenomenal, uh, I mean, I, I, how do you even grasp that? Mm-hmm. That we have people that, that are worth 200, $250 billion. Yeah. And uh, we, can't, we can't afford to fix our infrastructure. Uh, Biden passed mm-hmm. his infrastructure bill, which is, is a good start. But I mean, we have, uh, we have sewers that have been in place in St. Louis and other major cities for a hundred years. Yeah. They're falling in. Water pipes that maybe still have lead in them, as we saw in Michigan, Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you know, roads and bridges are falling in. We have more and more and more uh, traffic on the roads today, but yet we still haven't 
our, our interstate system hasn't kept up with that increase in traffic. I mean, how many people have driven on the interstate and you get behind a truck in the left lane trying to pass another truck running one mile an hour faster? Extra lanes. We need three lanes. And they're, and they're going to do that in Missouri. from 70, On 70 from St. Louis to Kansas City, they're supposed yeah. to span it out to three lanes. Well, if you drive much, you realize how much that helps move traffic. Uh, but we need to do that all over the country. And uh, <clears throat> But companies have taken advantage, uh, and, and this really started too under Reagan, uh, leaving this country and going overseas. Uh, then it picked up speed with, with NAFTA, obviously, but <clears throat> for higher profits. Yeah. Take advantage of slave labor. In other countries, be it China, Bangladesh, I mean, we basically have no textile industry in this country anymore. It's all in Vietnam, China, and Bangladesh. Uh, our steel industry has been exported to basically China and India. Mm-hmm. We have we don't have that. I mean, you think of the the well-paying jobs we had, uh, you know, over the years with steel industry and the industries that fed it, the mining and and those things. Um, yeah. What uh, <clears throat> it's disappeared been off all yeah, short. Yeah, it's all yeah. it's all disappeared and it's all strictly for profits. And yeah. um you know last year <clears throat> corporations paid uh and and this goes on into the taxes and and all that but uh they paid an effective rate last year of 11.3%. So yeah. as as they've implemented these tax breaks for corporations and and the wealthy uh that has to be made up somewhere. Right. You know, the, I mean, we end up with higher gas taxes. We end up with higher sales taxes, uh, extra taxes for this, extra taxes, because the somebody has to make up that difference. Somebody has to make it we up. spend more money on the military than the next nine countries combined in the world. That money has to be paid, and then wherever that's taken from, it has to be made up. Yeah. Uh, but that's why our roads and bridges are crumbling. Yeah. Because we don't have the money to fund it anymore. And you want to cut taxes even more. Right. So, yeah. Right. So... Um, Let's talk about the disparity between worker wages and CEO pay. How would you, how would you address this wage gap if elected? Because you know you, you can't, you can't dictate to private industry how they distribute their wealth or how they, how they do their own finances. So what would be your approach to that? Well, I would <clears throat> one I would implement a, a national minimum wage, mm-hmm. and I would uh, base it on you know, where you live. I mean, obviously somebody that lives in New York City needs a higher minimum wage than somebody lives in, in Crothersville right. uh, or some other rural setting here in, in the 8th District. Uh, it's not saying the cost of living is extremely high in New York, California, places like that. So it would have to be based on, on where you live. But I think setting a, a minimum wage, and as we've seen after, after COVID, uh, a lot of your businesses had to raise the, you know, wages from the minimum of seven twenty-five or seven fifty up to ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars, yeah. just to get workers back to work. Yeah, and you know the world didn't shut down when they raised raised wages. They said, "Well, it puts everybody at a disadvantage. If everybody has to raise wages, it's it's a level playing field. If you force one industry to raise it, but not the other, then then it's an unlevel playing field. But if it's across the board." It's it, it it's a level playing field for everyone. Yeah. Um, and the Republicans use scare tactics. Well, I had to put people out of business and and all that. But in Europe, they have uh, much higher 
minimum wages and they have McDonald's and all the restaurants sure. and they all thrive and in many cases sell their hamburgers and fries cheaper than what you can buy them here but they have higher wages for these people so yeah. it's a kind of an empty argument as far as I'm concerned yeah <clears throat> it's it's uh, it's a popular argument it it it, it uh, actually appeals to people's basic understanding of mathematics the money's got to come right. from somewhere but i i think you're right because um having I don't know about you, but when I, when I entered the workforce, I think the minimum wage was like $2 an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you forward come to our modern day and realize you may have like 25 to 3% inflation, um, you're up well past like $15 per hour right. for, for minimum wage. And I even think that $15 an hour is, is not even enough. But um, It's not. But it's it's much better than the seven fifty which the federal right. government has right now. You're going to get a lot of pushback from that type of uh, for advocating for that type of policy. And what what do you have an idea of who you would forge some alliances with once you get into the Congress? Well, I think <clears throat> I think uh, about anyone that works for a wage mm-hmm. uh, would be happy to have the the. But I think unions, uh, and that's one of the other things that's allowed wages to stagnate. Are unions which used to uh, involve 33 or 4 or 5% of the workforce, now barely 10 or 11% yeah. of the workforce. And and even the union's wages, as we just have seen from the recent UA, uh, uh, UAW yeah. strike, yeah. Uh, their wages had fallen. The, the concessions they had taken over the years uh, to help the company stay in business and, and all that, uh, don't make, they didn't make near the money they did 30 years ago when it's adjusted for inflation. Right. So I think uh, if we can get more union participation again, make it easier for people to join unions uh, and unions to organize labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will it will raise the wages of everyone. Yeah, uh, I remember having a conversation one time with a guy, and we were talking about the minimum wage, and and he said, uh, "Well, you, you know, you think you know burger flippers ought to make fifteen dollars an hour?" He said, "I have a he was a paramedic or something." He said, "Well, that's as much money as I make." I just looked at him. I said, "Do you ever think you're underpaid?" Yeah. You know, this guy. You know, this guy maybe doesn't make enough, and and you're underpaid as well. You yeah. know, if this guy made fifteen, how much more would they have to pay you because you have a skill? He just looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> like he hadn't thought of that during the headlights. Like, like I didn't <clears throat> think right, about that. Right. But yeah, that's that's funny how the people their mindset gets so channelized right. by by the uh, by the culture that we don't think about things that are. I mean, to you, that's obvious, right? Everybody right. should just have a, a better wage. So I like that idea. Um, let me see. What um, you propose bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. and I think there's there's good reason to do that. I think with with the recent COVID conditions that we went through, we saw what happens when supply side for things like computer chips mm-hmm. uh, pretty much disappears, and now just it just stops the whole economy. Um, what is your plan? How would you advocate for bringing manufacturing back to the U.S.? Uh, I'd probably use a carrot and a stick approach. Mm-hmm. I would uh, advocate for uh, tax incentives mm-hmm. uh, to bring businesses back. <clears throat> and it will cost money in the beginning, obviously tax money to do that. But with the jobs it would create here and tax paying workers, and I think it, it would be a, a win-win mm-hmm. for the country as far as taxes go and, and the jobs and uh, and all that. But, uh, and then a little bit of a stick, I think that if you, 
if a company, an American company, takes their factories overseas, if they don't bring them back, then use a stick approach and say, well, then you're going to pay a tariff yeah, on your yeah. product to get it back in this country. You're not, you're not part of the global economy because you're not a foreign country that's producing a product and sending it back to the United States in fair trade. Mm-hmm. You're an American company that went to this country to take advantage of their slave labor yeah. uh, and lower wages to make more money by shipping this back to our country. Yeah. So I would, I, would, uh, I would come up with some kind of tariff system on American companies that, that uh, refuse to, to relocate back in this country. There's so many products, uh, as we talked about the steel and all that, but I mean, things that we use every day, we didn't even have masks in this country. Mm-hmm. We had to, had to get them from China. Uh, yeah. You know, sunglasses, Nike shoes, I mean, Apple phones, all this is made overseas. Now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you think of the jobs they could create if this was made back in this country and the taxes that we would give yeah. them those extra jobs. So I would, I would use the, the carrot and the stick approach. <laughs> Hopefully the carrot would work. Yeah. Hopefully some of that would come back to the 8th District of Missouri because the 8th District, right. one thing I didn't mention before, is the, uh, uh, from terms of median income, it's the lowest in Missouri. And last time I checked, it was like the lowest, it, among the lowest 10% in the nation. Yeah. Don't quote me on it, but it was somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. And we could definitely use uh, this type of help here. And I think, um, I know I'm digressing a little bit here, but um, are you aware of what Tyson Foods has done in Dexter, Missouri, which... Uh, they basically closed up their, their chicken processing plant. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the local farmers around there had purchased extra equipment to feed into this chicken plant. And now yeah. Tyson says, sorry, we're out. Yep. Dexter is, <clears throat> a lot of people don't know about Dexter, Missouri. The only reason why I know about it is because I have a, a college buddy of mine was from there. And I'm like, where is Dexter? So I looked, stu- I looked it up and uh, interesting little city. It's about three or 4,000 people, I think. So. Mm-hmm. You lay off a workforce of about six to seven hundred people. That has a huge impact down there. Oh yeah. And yeah. so um, I don't know what the what's going on behind the scenes there, but you know what we're seeing in this district, anyways, is a disappearance of right. a lot of the uh, manufacturing. And and I, I applaud your efforts to to help bring that back. Well, and and our district should be a good place for manufacturers located. We have the Mississippi River, yeah. so you can you can ship in raw materials. Uh, we have good railroad presence in this country. DeSoto is a is a is a hub for railroad. Uh, we have a couple major interstates between 55 and, and 44. So uh, there's no reason that we can't get businesses to locate here. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of businesses like to locate in the South because of their anti-union stance. Well, it's the same thing as in southeastern Missouri. It's not a big union haven and. and uh, but there are a lot of people that need that need jobs, and, and uh, I think it would it would benefit factories to be able to locate the position where, where uh, employment is high. You know, the people want to work. Yeah. And uh, like I said, with the with the infrastructure we have here, I think it would be a good place for for companies to locate. We just we just have to uh, make the effort. Yeah. And reach out to companies and and uh, and bring them in here, like with the the Chips Act, bringing these chip manufacturers back. Why couldn't we locate one of them in, right in the eighth district? Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the silicon that they uh, that they that's used for for um, for chips actually is uh, Missouri's a, a good place for that as well. There's some now there's some problems with mining silicon. I realize they get mm-hmm. silicon ice siliconesis or whatever. It's uh, basically uh, 
you get these silicone particles in your lungs, which dust, is a real, right. yeah, the silicon mm-hmm. dust, which is extremely <clears throat> deadly. But um, you know, a lot of smart guys in Missouri too can figure out how to mine this stuff without right. causing an environmental impact. Right. Um, I do want to get to some other topics, though. We talked, we touched uh, quite a bit on healthcare in the past. Uh, you're, and, and it's quite obvious you're a strong advocate for national healthcare. And you highlighted in your website the uh, that we're the only industrialized nation without a um, without a uh, national healthcare system. And um, and you know you've questioned the the uh, resistance to socialized medicine. And you've contrasted our healthcare system with healthcare systems in other countries. Um, before I dive into the into the questions, though, I mean, I, I want you to sort of clarify your position on healthcare and where where you're at. Well, I think we need to get private health insurance completely out of our healthcare system. It should not be a for-profit industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should not be paying playing with people's health and their very lives to make money on them. That's why we have insurance companies that refuse care for people because it may affect their bottom line. And that's just ridiculous mm-hmm. in this day and age. So I'm, I'm very much for getting private insurance out of it and not just, uh, you know, with Medicare, you know, you have to have a supplement right. insurance right. to cover the 20% that Medicare won't cover. Why? Yeah. Why, why is to keep the private insurance right. industry exactly. involved in it? Uh, we need to get private They've done it in all these other countries, and, mm-hmm. and uh, the Republicans come up with the scare stories. Oh, you have to wait for months to get, you know, get care and all this. Why? Well, I, I recently, just three or four weeks ago, made a call to a guy I had a hip replacement and was having trouble with a knee. He wanted to get in and see him, maybe get a shot, whatever it took. Seven months. Yeah. To get in to see this guy. Yeah. Seven months. Yeah. So the. You know, but if you have a heart attack or something, you go emergency. I mean, they, they take care of you. They do the same thing in other countries. The difference is, in other countries, they don't bankrupt you for it. Yeah. They take you because it's going to be paid for. Uh, they don't force you to uh, uh, ration your insulin mm-hmm. or other medications because you can't afford to pay it. Right. I mean, in the richest country in the world, we have people forced to decide between, well, am I going to am I going to take all of my insulin today Uh I may not have enough money to pay my rent this week, or I may not have enough money to buy groceries or whatever. Yeah. I just don't have enough money to go around. So I'm going to, and, and, and people have died from yeah. that. And it's just, to me, that's just astounding that we have allowed it to go on this long, but it, it's what money does for you lobbyists that spend millions of dollars and they spend it on both sides of the aisle. No, make no yeah. mistake. They spend it on both sides of the aisle, which is why we haven't been able to get, uh, you know, universal health care. Yeah. But, and, and people, a lot of the people that, that fight against it uh, or vote against it are already on yeah. socialized medicine. The, the people are on Medicare, the people are on Medicaid, you know, VA benefits and all that. We should have that for everybody. We insure the most expensive part of our population, yeah. the older people. You know, why don't we cover the people that aren't as expensive, the younger people and all yeah. that? I mean, and, and we could come up with a system uh, a lot like a Social Security tax. Uh, you know, the, the employer pays part of it, and they write right, they write their part off on taxes. Right. Uh, if you're self-employed, like a farmer or a logger or whatever, you you pay the full amount, but then you write off the half that an employer would pay. It's just like Social Security now, yeah. self-employment tax. Uh, you can write that off. But you know, other countries all make this work. Yeah, all of them. 
Yeah. And, and you've traveled extensively overseas. I've traveled some, and I talk to people. And, and one of the topics I always bring up is healthcare because <laughs> I'm just interested in what yeah. they think. Yeah. And I have yet to speak to one person that would trade systems with us. They like their government health care yeah. because they don't go through bankruptcy and they don't have to worry about whether they're going to be able to afford to go to the doctor or, or go sure. to the dentist or anything like that. Uh, it's just, but they've used such scare tactics yeah. with people um, and it's worked. Yo, so it, it, it works. You know, if, I brought this up in previous podcasts too, and I don't remember the numbers exactly anymore, but the thing that really bothers me about um, pharmaceuticals in specifically is the fact that uh, through the National Institutes of Health, we have, we being we the people, have uh, bankrolled a lot of the research into advanced medicines. And I think I looked it up one time, it was like from 2010 to 2020, it was something like $200 billion with a B, $200 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to mention the private donations that we make. You know, I contribute to JDRF or someone else contributes to uh, the Heart Fund or whatever. And these companies, these pharmaceutical companies, they do a good job. I mean, they make the medicines, and this mm-hmm. is stuff that we need. But then they get these patents on it that are that are exclusive patents. The government allows them to do it, and then the government allows them to set their own price. And it's like, wait a minute. We already, not completely, but we already, at least to a large degree, paid for this stuff mm-hmm. with our tax money and our donations. Yeah. How can they turn around and sell it to us? And insulin is probably the best example. You brought that up earlier. Um, I believe, I forgot who the person who was that uh, actually discovered insulin, but but sold the patent for like a dollar. Yeah, so everyone could have it. So everybody could have it, right. Mm-hmm. And um, and insulin, you know, it's it's made a lot of strides over the years. I think in the, in the mid-1980s, they figured out how to synthesize the human insulin molecule rather than taking it from hogs and right. cows and such. And so manufacturing of insulin, although it's very difficult to manufacture it, once the process is down, it's actually quite cheap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes down to selling it, um, just to give you an example, my son needs insulin. He lives in Southern California. Hasn't had to do it yet, but he, in the back of his mind, he says, Dad, I can always go down to Tijuana yeah. and get the same yeah. stuff, the exact yeah. same stuff for like one-tenth the price. Or up to Canada, he he he's within driving distance of Tijuana, so that's his ba- that that's his uh, his plan B. Right. And um, you know, it, it 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 really disturbs me how that happens. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about lobbyists, because mm-hmm. this is this is what it comes down to. Right. Well, I'm not sure you saw uh, as you were ta- uh, stating the money that the government has spent into research for medicines and things just like with COVID. I just, you may have seen it also a couple of weeks ago, uh, the manufacturer of Paxlovid mm-hmm. is going to triple the price on it now. Oh, and, you wow. Know, yeah. They're going to triple the price on yeah. it. Yeah. And that was, was that government funded the Paxlovid uh, research? I think some of it was. Yeah. I think yeah. Some of that subsidized. Was yeah. Subsidized. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, and there's no there's no control on it. So you know, in uh, universal health care, uh, does it have to be Medicare for all? Is it universal health care, or what sort of a specific? Would be universal health care. I, I don't like Medicare for all because, like I said, Medicare only pays eighty percent. Yeah, and I think it should pay hundred percent. And how in the world dental and vision got separated out from health care? I do not know. Yeah, it's like all part of the human. It's body, all right? part of the body. It's all yeah. part of your well being and your yeah. health. So how did that get separated out? 
but it is. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a universal health care. Everyone should have it. Everyone sh- should qualify. Uh, you know, Jason Smith rails on about the Obamacare and, and all that. And, and, uh, but Obamacare, and, and I, I didn't like Obamacare because mm-hmm. it was the Republican plan. It, it just, yeah. I wish he would have pushed for a full universal health care uh, system. But, uh, but it did end, you know, the pre-existing condition yeah. clause that, that insurance companies use to, in any other country, it's just called your medical history. Yeah. In this country, it's called pre-existing conditions as a way to allow them to deny you health care. Yeah. Uh, if you change jobs. And it also ended the cap on what an insurance company had to spend. It used to be capped at a million dollars. After a million dollars, and if you've been around anyone that's had uh, cancer, bad cancer, that's fought it for years, a million dollars doesn't go very far, especially with some of the medications they use now that are thousands of dollars per dose. Yeah. And they have to have it or they're, or they're going to they die. die. Yeah. But it ended that cap as well. Mm. Well, we could go on about that. I want to get uh, a few more topics here because we're, um, I don't know what, uh, you know, how much more time we have left, but uh, I could talk for the rest of the afternoon. Me if, too. If it, goes, <laughs> if it goes down too long, we'll have to get some beer. That's and right. Cool, I got that. Continue. <laughs> so, yeah. um, reproductive rights is another one that, that you that you've talked about on your website. And, and I think you've tied... Reproductive people who who fight against abortion. I think you've on your website you've sort of tied that together with a religious sort of background on that, and um, and I I, I get that in, in a sense. You know, when you when you when you talk about religion, people say when does life begin? That sort of thing. I get that argument. I I, I would have to. I'd have to counter it a little bit by saying I think it's more of a power issue than a than a than a religious issue. But let's go forward, anyways. What's what are your what are your views on reproductive rights? Well, I I think that uh, it's a travesty in the twenty first century that that women don't have autonomy over their own bodies. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just ridiculous. But it's been a big push from religious groups. I mean, they're at the forefront of it, no doubt. Yeah. Are there people out there that maybe aren't so religious that just think, well, it's just it's just not right? I'm sure there are, but it's been the religion that has really, really pushed this thing. And mm-hmm. it's not just with uh, abortion rights. I mean, it's with uh, banning school books. And I mean, you name yeah. it. I mean, they're, they're involved in all this. And, and uh, But with reproductive rights, they fought and fought and fought. And it's interesting that, that uh, the argument, the, the Republicans' argument all these years has been, well, it should be the states that decide this mm-hmm. and not the federal government. The federal government shouldn't decide it. It should be the states. So, okay, you overturn Roe v. Wade, goes back to the states. Well, now the states are voting to approve abortion rights and, and, and yeah. put it in their constitutions that women have the right yeah. to, to, their, to their own uh, decisions on health care. Uh, it just happened in Ohio. It had happened earlier in Kansas. It happened in multiple states around. And yeah. uh, it, it will happen in Missouri when they get in on a ballot, I'm sure, because 70% of the people in this country believe that a woman should have that right. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of a lot of Republican women and men believe that, that women should have that autonomy, that they should make the decision. Yeah. And uh, and I would agree with that 100%. So I've, I've always been pro-choice yeah. and uh, and always will be. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting now. You mentioned Ohio 
um, my recent understanding about Ohio now is that the state legislature is now going to still try to fight the recent um, changes to the Constitution and try to remove the power of the judicial branch to enforce this um, this uh, new, um, I guess they're putting it into their Constitution as an amendment. Mm-hmm. So um, that's interesting. I, I, I kind of expected that, and I think that's a good blueprint for Missouri because I think you're right. Um, they're going to try to destroy any sort of movement toward having an initiative for reproductive rights in Missouri, but I think they're not going to be successful, but they are they, they are working on plan B. So yeah. oh, yes. we have to be ready for that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let me see. I had a question here for you. Um, yeah, this is this is an interesting one. And I, I actually asked this of another guest that I had some time ago, and it's maybe only tangentially related to abortion rights, but uh, Representative Alexandra, Alexandra Ocasio, I, I prefer to say AOC, it's just yeah. much easier. Um, she said that if Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and, Bar- and Barrett uh, lied, the, the Supreme Court justices, if they lied about their intentions on Roe um, to win their confirmation, they, the, uh, the uh, senator or the, the Congress should seriously consider impeaching them. How do you feel about that? That's... Well, I would probably agree with that because that's the whole vetting process uh, to get on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's a lifetime appointment. So the people that you're interviewing uh, should have to tell the truth mm-hmm. on, on how they're going. And, and the, the thing is, they've all, all of them said it was settled law. Right. And that's, that's the way they looked at it. Well, it's settled law. It should, but, and then they turn right around and then vote, and vote to end it. Yeah. And it, it just, it was just a bold faced lie, outright lie. And I don't think, I think impeachment is thrown around quite a bit now. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's, uh, uh, it's something that, that, you know, should only be used in, in an extreme instance. I right. really do. And, but at the same time, th- these three people helped affect the lives of millions, of yeah. millions of women in this country. I mean, you see that there was a recent, uh, I think it was last summer, uh, just, just to show how, how their decision has affected people. 10 year old girl in Ohio was raped by a 27 year old man. Well, under Ohio's new fetal, uh, heartbeat law, she couldn't get an abortion because they found her at six and a half weeks that she was pregnant at seven weeks. So she had, her parents took her to Indiana, which still hadn't implemented, uh, you know, a total ban right. and uh, had a procedure done there. And the, uh, I can't remember his name, but the uh, lawyer, the attorney that represents uh, one of the big right to life organizations nationally said that she should have been forced to carry that baby to term. Yeah. Now this is a 10 year old child yeah. we're talking about. And then the, the attorney general in Indiana went after the doctor that performed the procedure. And I think it was, it was medicine. It wasn't an actual, surgical mm-hmm. procedure, but he wanted to go after her. And, uh, but that's, that's the situation we've created. I've read yeah. stories where women, uh, have basically gotten sepsis because they've had to wait so long yeah. before the doctor would agree to terminate the pregnancy, uh, that they, they died from it or practically died from it and they have other health issues now. It's just, 
it's just amazing in this country, in this day and age, yeah. that we've gotten to this point. Yeah. Well, a couple of things here, just to branch off on that particular item there, uh, Mary Elizabeth Colin, I'm mm-hmm. sure you're aware of yeah. who she is. She's actually the uh, state my, senator for District 22. She's which, my rep. Mm-hmm. She's my rep, too, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, she has proposed, and she wasn't alone in this, but she has proposed the idea of restricting travel rights to women who are suspected of being pregnant. Right. And, boy, boy I mean, that, that comes right down to, like, uh, who was that uh, Atwood's uh, uh, book? Um, uh, oh, gosh. Handmaiden. Handmaid Tale, yeah. I don't know why I, 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 have a hard, yeah, I have a hard time remembering that. I read the book, and it's like, oh, my God, yeah. this is... This is getting into that territory there. Yeah, it kind of dystopian. But another thing, too, I want to talk about is um, Supreme Court justices. And there's a little bit of a tangent right here, but you said that Supreme Court justices have a lifetime appointment. That's not necessarily true. The federal judges have lifetime appointment, but, but being on the bench at the Supreme Court is not necessarily a lifetime appointment. And I was kind of turned on to this idea by an author by the name of David Litt, I believe his name was writing for the Boston Globe. He wrote an article back in 2018, I think it was. And he talked about, we can rotate people through the Supreme Court, give them terms. Now, they, they remain federal judges, mm-hmm. but they rotate out of the bench and that each president then gets an opportunity to, to uh, put up or, or at least advocate for a, a judge to be on the bench. Um, it's a radical idea, and I'm kind of a, kind of throwing it on here at the last minute right, here. Right. But I mean, what's your basic instinct about that type of thinking? Is that does well, that sound interesting to you? As it stands right now, it is a lifetime appointment. Yeah. Until we do something like that, right? Then, uh, you know. So what you would have is if every time the presidency changes hands or Senate changes hands, then you're going to rotate in judges that align with the views of the president or the Senate or whatever. Well, yeah, not all of them, but just right, know, right, one or two. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, there, there's nothing wrong uh, with different views mm-hmm. on, on law, constitution. Uh, I mean, we have different ideas on economy. We have different ideas on everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's you know, when, when everybody believes the same way, it's probably not healthy. I mean, if, if you right. only had one, that's one party rule. We don't really need that. I mean, as, as much as I'm a Democrat, all that, I still think we need healthy debate and, and you know, discussion over certain, certain issues. But uh, as it stands right now, it is a lifetime appointment. But I think uh, what happened with two of the Supreme Court justices uh, was just a miscarriage of, of, of law. Know, of law right? <clears throat> uh, Obama was denied... Uh, his Supreme Court nominee for nine or ten months. Yeah. Okay. That shouldn't have been allowed. And then uh, at the very end of Trump's term, they shoved this woman in, Mary Coleman, uh, Barrett. Barrett, yeah. Uh, they shoved her in at the, at the 11th hour, basically. Yeah. Uh, they, they streamlined her nomination yeah. process to get her in. And, you know, so there were, there were two. Uh, and and the, the funny thing is the hypocrisy of their reasoning. Yeah. Well, yeah, we should change on, your mind, on Gorsuch yeah. or on uh, Gorsuch. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the um, Barrett, the person that Obama had nominated, he's head of the Justice oh, yeah. Department. Gar- uh, Garland, Mary yeah. Garland. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said we should let the people decide. Yeah. So meaning we should wait till the next election. Right. 
But at the very end of Trump's term, yeah, you know, same well, thing we, came up. Yeah, why did why didn't you let the people decide? The election was in a matter of weeks. Yeah, why didn't you let the people decide? So it was all about packing that Supreme Court with people oh, yeah. of the same ideology. Yeah. So it just. But. Well, as I say, um, before we started recording, I think hypocrisy is the uh, is a badge of honor with uh, many of our politicians out there. Right. Um, how much time do you have left? Because I, I realize we've... we've I have as much time as you want. Oh, really? Great. Let's go get some beer then. We can go talk all day. <laughs> Let's go on to Social Security. Um, I think you're... It's an understatement to say that you are... Um, that you support the privatization of Social Security. And, you know, the Republicans, ever since the New Deal came out and Social Security came out, it seems like the Republicans have been fighting it. Mm-hmm. And we borrowed a lot of money against the Social Security funds, which um, I guess sort of, you know, the Republican Party seems to like that idea. Um, but um, we, we're we looking down the road right now at Social Security. If we don't do anything, it's going to go insolvent. They keep moving it back, but I think it's down to like 2033 at this point. And when it goes insolvent, that doesn't mean you don't get any money, but it does mean that they don't have any um they don't have any reserve left so right. the people who are retiring are just going to have to take whatever money is coming in from the people that are still working um which is going to be about a cut of about 40 percent, if i'm not mistaken somewhere in that area and don't quote me on that you probably know those numbers better <laughs> than i do but uh let's talk about social security what are you what is your attitude given that uh given that background well uh the government has the legal right to borrow money from Social Security fund. It's it's nothing nefarious or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, the Republicans have been good at it because with their, uh, especially under Bush, their massive tax cuts uh, and two unfunded wars because they didn't pass any taxes to pay for them, uh, you know, they had to get the money from somewhere to make the balance sheet look a little better. So right. they tapped $1.7 <clears throat> from the Social Security Trust Fund to help balance that sheet where it wouldn't look so bad. Uh, the the law states that when Social Security wants that money back, the government has to pay it back with interest. Right. Okay. So we're sitting out there with another. I think it's one. It's one point seven billion. I think. Uh, or one. I mean, one point seven trillion. Yeah. I'm sorry, trillion dollars. Uh, and they have to pay it back. So that will that will stretch out the, you know, the date that it would go insolvent for years, years. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is. As of right now, if you make over one hundred sixty thousand dollars, you get a tax break. Yeah. When you hit that point, yeah. you don't have to pay Social Security tax anymore. So basically, what we're doing is saying, okay, all the all the poorer people that make under one hundred sixty thousand, you have to pay the tax. If you make over one hundred sixty thousand dollars or well off, you're we're going to give you a tax break. Yeah. So take away the cap, do away with the cap, and it will it will fund Social Security. For years and years and years and years. Wow, I didn't know that. That's yeah. yeah that's um, you're right. So the the um, so in other words, when you're as you're making money throughout the year, you're paying a certain percentage of Social mm-hmm. Security. But if you hadn't you know, by August, September, October, whatever it is, and once you passed a gross income of one hundred sixty thousand mm-hmm. and change, um, you no longer have to pay that Social right. Security. And right. what you're saying is that. If at that point in time people are making more than that much money, continue to have to pay Social Security, mm-hmm. that would make it um, 
right. solvent again. Right. Yeah. And and it seems like, like a no brainer to me. Right. Right. And like uh, like I said, we're giving the the people with the most means the tax break. Yeah. The people that need it the least are getting the tax break. But yeah. Like like CEO pay. We talked about that earlier. Uh, a lot of your CEO pay. Uh, they cap it at one million. These companies do because that's the limit they can write off. So now they give them stock options, things mm-hmm. like that. Well, that's not subject to any kind of Social Security tax. And they only pay, uh, I think it's if it's above five hundred thousand or something, twenty percent on mm-hmm. capital gains for those. Right. Yeah. And uh, if it's less than that, it's fifteen <clears> percent. <throat> yeah. So there's a lot of lot of areas where they could tax these higher income earners and and uh, and fund Social Security for years. But uh, we, we have to have, you know, the Republicans fight this. They, like I said, they don't like Social Security anyway. They want to give it all to Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, uh, let them invest would, would be yeah. fun, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Next time we have a, have a crash like we had under George W. Bush, what would your Social Security be? Oh, yeah, that, um, that, uh, that kind of stuff would keep me awake, let me tell you. <laughs> me um, too, because I'm drawing it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, you know that's that's the thing for a lot of folks. That's um, that's their lifeline too. And, yes, and um, you know it's you're really playing with people. Like, once again, like healthcare, you're kind of playing with people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about education because um, it's kind of been at the forefront of culture wars recently. You know, with with um, you know, teacher pay being being fairly low, at least in Missouri. Missouri used to be the worst in teacher pay. I think that they've gotten a little bit of a bump recently, so now they're, right. they're next to worst, I guess, right. something like that. I think they're 49th now. <clears throat> well, that's, that's a, I guess that um, some Republicans in the Missouri legislature <laughs> will probably find a way to celebrate yeah. over that. Um, but there's also, you know, th- that's bad enough, but there's this thing about, mm-hmm. quote, unquote, I'm putting air quotes here for people listening, <clears throat> indoctrination of our children along with book banning and and uh and then using vouchers as a way of of funding schools that are not public schools mm-hmm. uh, as sort of a, a backhanded way of doing that so there's a lot to unwrap with uh with education but let's let's hear your attitude on that well I'm, one I'm against vouchers because you're you're funding private schools we have a public school system uh, and that's where our tax money should go everyone has the right to a public education. If, if you decide for whatever reason uh, that you want your child to get a different education, be it religious or uh, just simply a, a homeschool a home school or private school, then that's your prerogative. But uh, we have a publicly funded education system already that you can take advantage of. Uh, one of the problems we have is that the disparity in the money that is spent uh, if you live in a wealthy district, say in, in St. Louis, or Clayton or Ladue, so to speak, they have a lot of resources. So their kids get, uh, you know, better test scores. And I'm not a, I'm not a big on test scores either, but uh, they get better test scores. They get better uh, access to colleges, good colleges and all that. Where if you go into the rural areas of, of the 8th district, uh, they don't have those opportunities. Their teachers are paid even close to what teachers in, in uh yeah. And the city are paid, uh, so getting teachers there to start with is an issue. Yeah. I mean, people they want to go, they want to go somewhere where they can get paid, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have a we have an issue there just with with paying teachers what they deserve, uh, as well as the other resources. Uh, a lot of these places have schools that aren't big enough, and and uh, you know maybe they're in disrepair. 
So we need we need uh, we need a more equitable funding mm-hmm. of, of our schools, whether that's and I'm not an expert on it, but uh, could be a combination of state and federal funding to to address the the disparity in the funding yeah. issue. So we can we can afford to get better teachers and and, and higher paid teachers in our rural areas, better facilities, uh, more resources, uh, high speed internet access, more computers, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean things that that help children uh, become more competitive in today's society. Yeah. Uh, we, we, need a, we need an equal footing here for all these kids. Yeah. And we don't have that right now. Yeah, there's a formula that's used. Um, I once looked at the formula, here in Missouri anyways, a formula for funding the, the, the schools. And um, it is, there's a significant portion of it depends upon your local tax system. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those death spirals you can get into because the, the, right. the lower school, if the school's not performing well, the people who can afford it will move out of that area. Right. And what you're left with is a lower tax base. Right. And that feeds into the school that says, well, now you're not gonna, your school's not going to be as good because of the lower tax base. And right. then, you know, the spirals down. Um, but it's taken a different turn, though, too, recently. You know, we have this, this uh, idea of book banning and indoctrination. I mean, what's... What's behind all that, all that mindset? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, what I call distraction politics. Mm-hmm. Distracting with things that don't really matter that much mm-hmm. uh, to keep their eye off of things that do really matter, like low-paying ju- wages and uh, you know, poor health care and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's just another one of those fringe issues, I think, that they've used. But, uh, I mean, you've been through college. I've been through college. I don't remember any college professor trying to indoctrinate me with some ideology that they had. I mean, right. I was there to learn. I mean, I, I learned uh, how to research, mm-hmm. how to research, you know, for writing papers and, and to think for myself, form my own opinions, mm-hmm. my own yeah. views, things like that. But <laughs> of all the classes I had, I, I don't remember one that, that the professor was standing there trying to tell me how to think or how to vote or anything else. Yeah. And that's just not, uh, and, and they're not doing it in the high schools yeah. either. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, the, for people to come out and say, oh, they're trying to indoctrinate my kids. Well, if trying to indoctrinate your kids is telling them the truth, just like uh, a lot of the Southern states now, they want the Civil War taught in such a way that it doesn't, you know, make them look so bad with the support they had for slavery and then the Jim Crow laws that followed and, yeah. and all that. Uh, they want to kind of brush that from from their history books, yeah. and uh, you know, and history history should be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. History should be uncomfortable. If you're if you're a hundred percent okay with the way your history is presented, then you're not being presented with the true history of your country. Yeah, any country, because yeah. uh, we all have our 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 dark ages, so to speak. Oh yeah. And uh, to not teach kids this, or to, uh, you know, and a lot of them say, well, you're you're teaching these kids to that uh, homosexuality is okay or transgender is okay or what it's not about teaching kids what's okay it's it's teaching kids to accept kids mm-hmm. that are different from right. themselves you know they're not they're not some boogeyman like the uh, a lot of the republicans want to make people out to be whether they're they're immigrants or or um gay or, or transgender or whatever they are all these all these titles they give them it doesn't matter i mean these kids are kids yeah. people are people <clears throat> And I've met people uh, from every walk of life, from just about every culture, gay, lesbian, I mean, you name it, and they're just people. 
Yeah. And I've met people that are straight <clears throat> and white, and then they wouldn't give you a dime if you're starving to death. Yeah. So uh, to me, just accept people. If they're good people, they're good people. And, yeah. and don't get so caught up. Uh, you don't have to agree with their lifestyle. It's not about that. It's not about pushing their lifestyle. But you can't push somebody to be gay. Right. Okay. They're born that way. Yeah. And anybody that's gay will tell you the same thing. They're born that way. Uh, uh, living around straight people for the first 20 years of their life going to school didn't turn them straight. Right. So your kid being exco- uh, exposed to a, a, a gay person is not going to turn them gay. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. It's biological. Yeah. Uh, but we've Republicans have, have used this issue to, to split people, mm-hmm. divide people, like they have with, with immigrants and, and things like that. And, and, and 99% of these immigrants are just people trying to make a better life right. for themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, but people from every walk of life, uh, whatever your sexual orientation or whatever your, your uh, socioeconomic standing, should all have the same rights yeah. that, that everyone else has. And uh, that, that's just the way I believe. Yeah. Do you think that there's a um, business aspect behind it as well? I mean, you look at, at uh, Betsy DeVos's organization where she was the secretary of education mm-hmm. for a while, and there is incentive on her part anyways to privatize uh, take public money for private schools, mm-hmm. um, you know, charter, whether it be the charter schools or religious schools or whatever. Um, that seems to me to be one of the incentives. I, what, what do you feel sure. about that? Oh, absolutely. Money, money's usually involved somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. just like uh, privatizing prisons. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> when you privatize a prison, well, you need prisoners to make it profitable. Yeah. So yeah. that's why we have a lot Let's of laws that incarcerate people and you know, because it's profitable. Yeah. And it's the same thing with uh private schools. If you own private schools, you want them funded. Yeah. And and uh so I I definitely think that, that money is a, a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Good. And um you hit upon immigration there, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. You advocate as you just did for equal rights for all citizens. Regarded, regardless of the race, your religion, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, etc. Um, what is driving that? You attribute, in, according to your, to your website, you attribute partly to certain media outlets that propagate this fear and division. And but the media outlets are being driven by something else too. I mean, what? Money. There's this big boogeyman standing behind all these <clears throat> manipulations that are taking place mm-hmm. these days, and and uh, it's it's just money. It's just greed. You think from it's profitable. It's profitable. It, it's yeah. very profitable to keep people divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> and 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 don't get me wrong. We need better immigration policy in this country. I mean, we have thousands of people trying to get across, and and by law, our own laws, people have the right to seek asylum in this country. Uh, if if where they live in their country is a threat to their yeah. life or, or whatever, so we have that is our law, um, you know. And, and under the Trump administration, I mean, we actually took kids and separated them from their families. Yeah, I mean, this is what the Nazis did. Yeah, you know. And and I've been reading a book called Auschwitz, uh, and one of the one of the people that they, they interviewed for this book, they said that they remember when the trains pulled up to let these families off, 
the first thing he did was separated the kids yeah. from their parents. And the, just the screaming and the crying of the kids had stuck with them for yeah. years after yeah. that. They couldn't get it out of their heads. And it just, they said it was just the most horrible thing you can imagine taking these children away from their parents. And we did the same thing yeah. in, the, in these camps. And it just, it's horrific to even imagine that anyone could support that. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever your views on immigration is, how can you support taking children away from their families and separating them? And, and there's still, I, I just read, uh, I think there's still 1,100 or 1,200 children that they haven't been able to locate their families in Mexico, but the families were sent back, kids were left here, uh, and they still haven't been able to locate families for these kids. Mm. These kids are going to have issues oh, yeah. from now on, and even the kids that are, have been reunited. Um, yeah, you, you long term uh, PTSD. Yeah, long, t- long term issues with that, yeah. and and uh, there has to be a humane way of dealing with this. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the problems uh, that these immigrants face are are products of our foreign policy in some of these countries that we've had that helped create some of these situations. Yeah. So in Central and South America, uh, so it's not like we're not part of the problem or haven't been part of the problem, but yeah. uh, the fact that it, it remains. Uh, we need to do something with the influx of immigrants in this country, uh, but we need to do it in a humane way. We don't don't treat them like animals, and whatever you do, don't separate these kids from their, from from their, their parents, families. Yeah. So, at a legislative level, though, how would you address? Um, we're talking about immigration, but let's talk about equal rights as well. Um, how would you address the ongoing issues of of racism and discrimination? I mean, how would we? Well, we I, th- I think uh, the Supreme Court struck down parts of the Civil Rights yeah. Act, uh, said we didn't need it anymore. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that proved to not be true because right. as soon as they, the ink wasn't dry yet and a lot of the southern states were implementing laws to uh, gerrymandered districts mm-hmm. uh, that, that lessened black vote, uh, they uh, uh, shortened mm-hmm. the voting period They've closed uh, drop-off boxes. They've closed. They they don't want mail-in ballots, mm-hmm. uh, and they've closed down a lot of the, a lot of the polling places in these urban areas. Not yeah. just here, but in, all over the country. Uh, you look, you see people waiting in line for hours yeah. to vote. Yeah. You don't see that in rural areas. You don't yeah. see that. You don't see that here. I've voted in three different places since I've lived in Missouri. And every one of them, I just walk in and vote. And I, you see lines in St. Louis, they're hours long. That's amazing, vote. yeah. And, and, but it's another way to discourage people from voting. Yeah. It's just another way to, to lessen the, a minority vote. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's wrong. And we should have laws that protect. They should have uh, uh, more polling places open. It's not closing them, but, but opening them. More. We should have yeah. more uh, mail-in ballots. Because uh, people that work a job, I mean, a lot of people, it's not an eight-hour day for a lot of people. Yeah. It's a 12-hour day for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, when do you vote? Yeah. When do you vote? So yeah. You get a ballot in the mail, you fill it out, and send it in. But, uh, but there's just been a lot of different laws implemented to, to weaken minority votes, in, yeah. uh, and especially the South, where you know, that's why the Civil Rights Act was passed anyway, and why those states were singled out for these uh, particular voting laws. Yeah. And... So I think we need to get back to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're running up. Uh, I 
don't know how much time you have left. Well, I have, I have, I actually have to get going pretty soon. But I want to hit a couple more things. Um, gun control being one of them. Now, just to everybody's uh, information, we're sitting at your kitchen table mm-hmm. at your house in the middle of nowhere. I, I without uh, GPS, I don't think I would have gotten here. But very nice house, by the way. Um, appreciate you having me over here. Um, but, you know, even where I live, I live adjacent to rural areas. And this time of the year, now that it's November, I hear gunshots. Oh, a lot yeah. Of times, and then none of those deer, those poor deer that wander into my, in, into my yard, um, they better stay in my neighborhood if they want to stay safe. But, um, but you know, people are deer hunting out there. And, and, gun, and my, my wife gets a little, she jolts every time she hears a gunshot. Right. And says, well, I hope that guy is aiming the gun not in our direction. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, I think people are hunting pretty much know what they're doing. Right. Um, but there is a there is an issue with uh, gun control. I prefer firearm regulation because, mm-hmm. you know, automobile, you call it automobile regulation, you call it car control sure, or something right. like that. Right. Good but, point. <laughs> yeah. So, and we have this thing called the Second Amendment, and the very first clause of the Second Amendment says uh, a well-regulated militia, which people just kind of like, eh, let's get rid of that. Let's ink that one out. Right. Let's forget about that. You're not going to regulate anything at all. But regulation really is written into the Constitution, into the Second Amendment. Um, but it's a very touchy subject mm-hmm. here in Missouri. In Missouri, um, as you well know, we had this Second Amendment Protection Act, which was. I think it was just struck down by the courts recently, mm-hmm. but basically it said that we will not cooperate with the federal government right. in any sort of gun-involved crime or anything. Right. And there are people out there who are perfectly fine with uh, allowing violent boyfriends to have access to firearms. This is ridiculously stupid, and I think most people in America realize how stupid yeah. it is. But yet we still have this... Um, these uh, these gun regulations, and we still have people pushing for uh, more lax gun regulations. So um, that's a really big lead-in. <laughs> but but tell me what, what your attitude is on, on, on firearm regulation. Well, <clears throat> I'm a supporter of Second Amendment. I have guns to shoot. Uh, I used to skeet shoot a lot, uh, clay pigeons, you know, target and sporting clays, things like that. Uh, I don't hunt. I have a lot of friends that do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was farming in Indiana, I had a lot of uh, uh, wooded areas in the river bottoms along the Ohio River and, and my friends all wanted to hunt there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I've helped drag more than one deer out of the woods. And uh, so, you know, I'm all for that. Uh, my problem is, is uh, one, we give access, uh, people that have no business accessing guns, access to guns. As you mentioned, you know, violent domestic abusers are allowed to have guns. Uh, uh, you know, we don't vet people uh, well enough, it, it, you know, the guy in Maine that just shot up the bowling alley in the mm-hmm. restaurant. It's a perfect example. They had laws, but they didn't, they didn't enforce them. They didn't, yeah. they didn't go after this guy. And he, he, the guy never should have had a gun. Um, but, you know, we, we, just because it's written into the Constitution doesn't mean that it's unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if, for public safety, I mean, you remember the Tylenol scare back in the, in the 80s, oh, yeah, man, really, four, yeah. four people died from Tylenol. Well, all of a sudden now, every bottle you buy has a seal yeah. on it. After the uh, after Timothy McVeigh blew up the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City, go try to buy ammonium nitrate now, even as yeah. a farmer. Yeah. Get it. But you're going you're gonna to jump through hoops, okay? And that's yeah. just for a fertilizer. Yeah. But yet we continue to allow people uh, access to, to, 
you know, and, and they get touchy over where it's an assault weapon or whatever. But even military people say that's what these AR-15s are. They're basically a military-style rifle, and they're made to do one thing, and that's kill a lot of people in a short period of time. Yeah. And they're very good at it. That's why all your mass shooters use that particular gun yeah. because that's what it's designed to do. Uh, they have these high-capacity magazines. Uh, you know, people, and I've heard people give their well. You know, the people, they kill people with knives and all that. Well, yeah. if somebody walks into a restaurant or a bar where I'm sitting, uh, I hope he has a knife instead of an AR-15. Because I can yeah. pick up a chair or a table and defend myself yeah. from a guy with a knife. How many drive-by yeah. knifings that, That's not going to happen with an AR-15. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, uh, you know, we put limited, limits on First Amendment rights of speech. You can't yeah. yell fire in a crowded theater, to use the old analogy. You can't, you can't do that because it puts other people at risk. Yeah. So your right to be able to say whatever you want doesn't outweigh that person's right to be safe yeah. from, from your words. And to me, it's the same thing with, with guns. I mean, does, does your right to own an assault weapon outweigh a person's right to send their kid to school and, and have them safe? I mean, in, in Uvalde, Texas last year, uh, that mass shooting there, some of the parents couldn't even identify their own kids because their faces were blown off. Yeah. Now, in what world... Does someone right to possess that weapon outweigh the right of that kid to be safe in that school? Yeah. You know, and and I don't know how you handle all the AR-15s out. I mean, you you confiscate all of them or buy them back like they did in Australia. That's what they did. Yeah. They had a mass shooting. They basically bought back every every assault rifle in the country. Yeah. And uh, and they haven't had one since. But I think that that uh, that cow's out of the pen already, so yeah. to speak. So, but. We need to strengthen our our vetting, mm-hmm. you know, of these people, like say the domestic abusers and people like that, because uh, there there are signs, and uh, but I just think we need I think we need better laws, and I don't think that the Second Amendment is unlimited. Yeah, I just I just don't. I think there's there should be certain limitations on it. Now I'm not talking about people that I, we had a ban on it from '94 to 2004 or whatever it was, and you know the world didn't stop turning. People yeah. can still hunt. People can still target practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing really changed. It wasn't the uproar. But now, uh, and, and the majority of gun owners would agree with, with you know, the better laws and, and, and uh, more restrictions and things like that. Uh, but what we have now is an NRA that's not interested in safety. They're basically just a lobbying arm of the gun industry now. Yeah. And they pour millions of dollars into it. They pour millions of dollars into these politicians and that's what that's what yeah. walks today. Yeah, is the money. I think it's. Uh, I heard a phrase as a freedom from issues versus a freedom to issue. Right, the freedom mm-hmm. from getting shot while I'm <clears throat> in school right. outweighs someone's freedom to yeah. shoot me. <laughs> right. So yeah. it's uh, no. I think that's that's uh, that's pretty common sense what you say there. Um, so I want to kind of wrap up here a little bit. I wanted to ask you one final topic, which is which which deals with funding and how you're going to you know campaigning. I, I don't have the guts to do what you're doing. I, I really I don't, I don't have the guts to run for uh, U.S. congressional position. And I think actually being a member of Congress is far easier than than campaigning for it. I mean that's the yeah. sort of the impression I get. Um, you're going to. You're, you're, you've got an uphill battle, um, as we talked about earlier, but um, 
a lot of it takes money. We talked about money before. And what, um, what are your plans for trying to finance yourself going forward? Well, it, it is uphill battle. As I said earlier, uh, Jason Smith is chairman of one of the most powerful committees in Congress. So he's going to have unlimited amounts of money. Uh, to spend on a campaign, and I obviously don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a wealthy person, so I can't fund the campaign to the tune of a few million. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, most of my friends are not <laughs> not wealthy. They're like me. They're they're just blue collar working people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm going to try to do is just is just reach out to as many people as I can. I mean, people say phone calls. To friends and friends to friends and mm-hmm. and uh, you know and, and at some point if I get some money in and uh, maybe I look at a professional fundraiser mm-hmm. to try to help um, yeah but uh, and and I'm going to reach out to some of the unions my dad was a union mm-hmm. uh, guy he was in two different unions he was a concrete finisher for a while and then he worked at a local Alcoa plant and was in their union. Okay. So, I mean, I, so I have a, my family has a, a background in that, but so I'm gonna reach out to some of the unions. I'm very pro union mm-hmm. on my views as you, as you have seen. Um, so hopefully I can get a little help from them, but just individuals, hopefully I'll reach uh, some people that, Hey, you know, maybe I can help this guy. And it, it'll be uh, even more of an uphill battle because they know how red the district is. Yeah. Say, well, why should I waste my money? Uh, so I'll probably run into some of that as well, but, yeah. uh, all I can do is just push and, and um, tell people my message and say, hey, we need to, you know, we can't change it if we don't try to change it. Yeah. And help me all you can. If, if, if it's a dollar, just help me. Yeah. <laughs> help yeah. me make that change that we need. I've heard something before, and, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, when you donate to a political campaign, there's always this little checkbox that says, make it a monthly donation. Yeah. Um, that helps for budgeting purposes. Mm-hmm. So I would say to anybody out there, no matter what campaign you're gonna you're gonna contribute to, if you really want to help that right. person, mm-hmm. um, don't do like a hundred dollar like one time donation. Right. But maybe just do you know a series of fifteen dollar donations every yeah. month, for monthly like, or whatever. Yeah. So that you get you can budget your money a little bit right. more. Right. I've always been confused as to what money actually buys. I mean, I know you can, it, it it costs money to get on the radio and TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the old days, that used to be free yeah. because it was part of a public service. They would right. let you get on there for free. Nowadays, they charge you all kinds of money to get on radio and TV, yeah. even though it is a publicly owned airspace. Right. Um, so that's something else you can find in Congress when you're there. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I guess that's what the money goes toward, right? I mean, it's, you, have to, you have to distribute materials. You have to get right. on the air. You have to... Well, it's uh, it's everything. Like you say, it's I, I've even I've contacted every newspaper in the eighth district to uh, my formal announcement is December tenth, mm-hmm. and I've reached out to all the papers in the in the twenty eight counties to run, you know, an, an ad or not mm-hmm. an ad, but an announcement right. uh, that following week that you know we have a new candidate in the in the eighth district. Uh, here he is, and all this. Well, two or three of the papers I called. They want money to run it. Oh, I said, "Well, yeah. but it's a it's a public announcement, you know. It's a, it's news. Right. Well, it's it's campaign though. Mm-hmm. I said, "I'm not I'm not putting a campaign ad in. It's it's an announcement. <laughs> so, right. It's a press release, basically. They right? want money for it. Yeah. But it goes down like say TV is expensive, <clears throat> uh, radio, uh, billboards are yeah. are expensive. Just yard signs are 
eight, nine dollars a piece. Yeah. Uh, you know, just something as simple as a card yeah. that you hand out to people, flyers, uh, there's just the travel expenses, meals. Yeah. Uh, there's so much that goes into that. So it, that's where the money goes. That's where the money goes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, um, is there anything that, um, let's wrap this up here, there's a call to action. What, uh, what can people do if they're interested in what you're doing and want to get more information and want to get involved? Well, if, uh, if they would like to know more about me and, and <clears throat> see more of my, you know, stand on more issues, uh, they can go to my website. It's at www.fdr, the second, that's a Roman numeral two, okay. uh, four, number four, Mo, M-O.com. So that's FDR the second, for Mo.com. So that's my website. So letters would be F-D-R-I-I. Yeah, F-D-R-I-I, the number four, four Mo. M-O.com. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a donate button there if somebody wants to donate. Uh, but it's also where you can go to find uh, more about my views. I have a Facebook page at, at uh, Franklin Delano in quotes, Denny, because that's what everybody knows me by, is Denny, uh, Roth the second. So you can find me on Facebook as well. Okay. But uh, um, I appreciate you uh, coming out and, uh, and giving me the time to talk to you about all these issues. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me over here. This is a great place. I'm gonna, <laughs> I was driving in, you're thinking, oh, I better uh, tell my wife about this place. She's always looking for places like out in this yeah. area. And she's yeah. It's beautiful here. It is. Yeah, it's, it's uh, beautiful. I feel, I would feel a little bit remote out here, though. I don't know how. Do you feel that at all? Well, I grew up in farm for you know thirty years almost on a farm out in the middle of a section of land, nothing but corn, soybean fields around me. The difference here it's woods. There it was yeah, crops, farmland, yeah, just farmland. So I'm used to being out by myself. But oh. yeah, I like it. I like it remote. Good, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> well, thanks for the conversation. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Each episode, we feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or check out our Substack site at democracyonthemove.org and leave a comment on this episode's page. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again to our next episode. <laughs>